You're listening to Power Producers Shop Talk, where we are refining and redefining the sales game by equipping you with the tools you need to differentiate yourself in the marketplace. Well, it's like when we audit the mod with Mod Advisor and are able to give them the action items that they're going to use to lower their total cost of risk. Tactical skills that will help you provide deliverable value to your clients and prospects. It's going to be a great year in 2022 at Florida Risk Partners now that IPFS is in the game with their total pay strategy. We can write excess and surplus lines and completely remove the agency bill from our agency. People, if you're not using total pay by IPFS, you're definitely leaving money on the table. And action items that you can provide to take your prospects and clients to the next level. Having partners like Mineral only bolsters the fact that your clients do not care about the insurance. It's all of the value that you're able to add. And with partners like Mineral who can help with both HR and environmental health and safety, we can't help but win. This is Power Producer Shop Talk. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? What's up, everybody? Welcome to Power Producer Shop Talk, where we are bringing you episode number two of the Paskin Sessions with my friend Bob Paskins, where we last week talked about what it means from an introduction to a suspect in your sales cycle. And this week, we are going to go to phase two, which is moving somebody from suspect to prospect. My job is done. I'm going to turn it over to Bob now and let him talk about his thoughts because I do it every week. And if I have anything to add, I will, but you're in capable hands. All right. Thank you, David. Great to be back with you for week two of this. Yes. As you mentioned, we are looking to move uh, someone from the prospect or excuse me, the suspect status over to the prospect status. So where are we? Where did we leave off? We led off with moving from a lead to a suspect, which meant that we have now set the meeting, hopefully with the buyer. And now we are setting the meeting with the buyer. What are we trying to accomplish in this meeting? I think that's the biggest thing that you want to figure out is what do we want to try to accomplish? What do we need to be able to move this from a suspect to a prospect. The best thing that I can do, and I saw this research, it was done by the Harvard Business Review, and they basically said, and I call this the rule of two thirds, which I love. The rule of two thirds has two parts to it. Part number one is when you are meeting a potential buyer for this very first time, this initial meeting, you want to, in the rule of two thirds, make sure you are listening two thirds of the time. You want them to be doing all of the talking. If you're doing the listening, great. They're the ones who are telling you about their company, about their situation, about what their problems are, all of that. And your goal is to listen. Part two of the rule of two thirds is when you are speaking. So remember that one third of the time that you're speaking, two thirds of the time, it should be question based where what you are looking to do is continue to ask questions, to continue to dig down to learn more about them, their process, their situation, their problems. 
What you're trying to figure out is really, is there an opportunity here or not? You have to discover that because it could be one of two situations. There could be a problem out there, but you know what? They were told that they're supposed to get three bidders and they're currently working with a guy already who they've worked with for years, but you're bitter two or three of three. Great, if you don't find that out with through good questions, then you are not really gonna be able to move this properly from a suspect to a prospect. You've got to be able to ask these good questions. And the way you do that is by doing your research and preparing them before you go into the meeting. Mm -hmm. You can't go in and try and ask enough questions on the fly to where you're going to be quiet two thirds of the time. You're going to yes. fill the void by talking about yourself, which is the absolute worst thing you can do in the meeting. The other thing I would say just very, very quickly is we need to understand what listening actually means. There are too many people out there who think they're good listeners, but the reality is they listen with the intent to respond, not the intent to understand. You're just meeting this people and uh, person and you're just learning about their business. You don't need to go in and offer your opinion on something you're not anywhere near an expert on. What you do need to do is learn everything you can so that you can uncover what their problems are and then come back when they're a prospect and talk about how you're going to solve those problems for them. So it's not just about listening. It's the right kind of listening. And the only way you can do that is if you do your research that we talked about in the first episode. And you apply that through coming up with good questions to ask when you're in the meeting. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. You have to do your research ahead of time. You have to show up prepared for this meeting because they will know. They will know if you are ready for them or not. So you have to kind of make sure you have to figure out in your mind, what is the agenda or what is the purpose that I really want from this meeting? Because those will help you both research and tailor your questions moving forward. So for me, I have seven things that I always want to make sure that I am doing in the suspect phase, in the prospect phase, and ultimately in the close phase. There are seven things that I want to uh, make sure that I do. And these are questions that I will work on as I am going through these seven things. We don't have a whole lot of time, so I'll just kind of spit them out for us. And then we can really dissect them better. But the first one you have to figure out, number one, is do they have a need? If they don't have a need, I like to say, if there is no need, then there is no need for you. So if you're sitting down and you're figuring out that everything's taken care of, they have no problem, they have, they have no real situation, funny enough, I'll pause right here, I'll kind of ask the question is, well, if there was no problem, why did you set up this meeting in the first place and see if you could kind of break their ice? Because it's, it's crazy, man. I'll tell you, Kyle and I were on an appointment one time. That um, it was either, actually maybe it wasn't Kyle, it may have been Raphael. It, it was one of my producers. We were on an appointment, and we were in the meeting for forty five minutes, man. And I was throwing haymakers, like I, I was, I was, I was throwing everything but the kitchen sink at this lady that was the CFO. And at forty five minutes into an hour long meeting, I finally looked at her and I said, "Listen, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm throwing everything I got at you. I can't find any reason that you need me to be here." What gives? Why did you even schedule the meeting today? And she said, to be honest with you, I'm in a good spot, but I don't know that I always will be. And I want to know what my options are. 
And I said, you know what? Fair enough. Um, and I'm thinking to myself, would have been nice to know that up front. But that right. being said, it was a nice account. It wasn't an account that I expected to close the first day that I walked in. Yes. But I told her in my response, that was, okay, I, I appreciate you being honest with me. And I, I don't mind meeting with you if you're going to think of me when that time comes up. I'm okay being the guy that's on deck right now. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. But I like the fact that you had to ask that question. Typically, what I'll find is I will have what I'll call the egomaniac buyers, where you'll sit down and you start asking them some questions. Oh, yeah, no problem with this. No problem with this. And then, you know, I'll respond with one or two questions. The first one that we kind of said is, well, why did you set the meeting? Or else I'll jokingly ask the question. It's like, wow, man, it looks like you've got everything together. Would you mind giving a seminar so you can help some of my clients with this too? And it's funny, that question kind of breaks them out of it. And they say, well, yeah, all joking aside, we actually now start are having problems with this, this, and this. But sometimes you have to kind of crack the ego of these people to really figure out why they set the meeting and really what their problems are. So, you know, and that, that's a really good point, man, because I think that we're afraid to ask those questions if we think we're pushing somebody into an area where they're not comfortable. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, it takes a little bit of experience in getting just getting used to getting that out. One of the things that I've done in the past um, to, to build trust with somebody is I'll tell them, look, I am not an attorney. I don't have a law degree. I don't I'm not a member of the bar. But what I want you to do is I want you to think of our conversations as if you're having a conversation under attorney-client privilege. I need all the information. That doesn't mean I use all the information, but if you want me to be able to represent you at the absolute highest level, I need the information to be able to do that. And that means good, bad, ugly, and otherwise. And it's amazing how much people open up when you when you put them and in, in, in give, give them a little bit of comfort that, you're not just going to turn around and throw every dirty secret they have to an underwriter. Now, I'm not advocating that anybody out there materially misrepresent a risk. But right. if they had a claim for 10, year, 10 years ago that had something to do with their workers' comp program and it's haunted them for 10 years, I don't have to go talk to that underwriter about that if they're only looking at five years worth of loss history. You know, mm -hmm. I... On the flip side, maybe their three-year snapshot doesn't look good but okay, I'm just going to go get five years of loss history because the last two that I picked up are crystal clean and it's going to make the five-year snapshot look much better than the three. But if I don't have all the information, I don't even know how to present my case. Yeah, yeah, it's great. I, I worked with this. I don't want to get too deep in the weeds. Maybe that's a great thing about us. We could get too deep in the weeds here, but similar story. I worked with an electrical contractor and their experience modification went through the roof because sadly... It's a high voltage electrical contractor. And one of their guys hit the wrong wire at the wrong time. And sadly, it instantly killed them. Well, he was afraid to share that because he thought that would really damage what the underwriters were thinking. And similar, I had this conversation, you know, let me, I will determine what is being shared, but you have to trust me in this because what he did not disclose on the good positive side was after that tragic event occurred, he completely changed how he did loss control and safety. And after that incident, he had a clean record. Well, 
okay, the, again, the accident was tragic, but if I had not been able to get him to share that as well as what that clean record was, we would not have been able to proceed forward and provide that solution that he ultimately needed and chose from us. So, yeah. And I, I think it's, um, I think it's interesting, man, because people, people just don't want to be forthright. And the, the reality is I, I tell producers all the time, you have to operate from the standpoint, the underwriter already knows they're just waiting to see if you're the one who tells them or not. Yes. And th and that's the God's honest truth, man. I have no problem. Like we've gotten to the point now where on some of the larger opportunities, Harry or otherwise, we do video submissions. We go and we'll actually record it. Look, I'm not going to give you a narrative that I can't back up. You know, it used to be, oh, you need to type up a narrative. No, I'm going to show you exactly what's going on in this account. And we'll start with the first time we walk through it. And I'll video what I see the first time. And I don't necessarily need to share it. But if they make great improvements between then and the next time I go, then I am going to show that. Right. What's an underwriter want to see? They want to see progress. I mean, right. you know, if it's bad, just show me what you're doing to fix it. And then by the time we're ready to take this thing to the insurance marketplace, we might have 60, 70% of the things that needed to be fixed, fixed. We give them the plan for how we're going to fix the rest of it. Now we can actually have a conversation about getting a deal done. Yes, absolutely right. Absolutely right. So yeah, so kind of going back with this is, and we've kind of hit a couple of these where we, first of all, there's a need. And then one of the other things is, did we get all of the information? That's two of our seven things. You have to make sure that you get all of the information. If you don't, you're missing out potentially on the opportunity for getting that sale. Terrific. Buzz through the other things. Another thing, we have to have a need. We also have to make sure we have a solution for that need. Young producers, they come back and they say, man, we have this appointment. We're going to go out and we're going to get this piece of business. And I said, that's absolutely great. How are we going to do this? What markets are we going to be able to reach out to? Oh, I haven't really thought about that. Well, do we have an actual solution for this individual that we can provide that will help them so we can end up winning the business? You need to make sure you can say yes to that to be able to move them from a suspect to a prospect. Because if you don't have that solution, really what you're going to end up doing is wasting everyone's time. Your time, the buyer's time, the underwriter's time, everyone's time there. And you're probably going to piss off the buyer. Just really tick them up so they're never going to want to ever pick up a phone for, pick up a phone call from you again. So you need to make sure you do have that solution in place. So great. We got that. Third one was the information. We talked about this. Next one is you've got to form a trusting relationship. The suspect or the prospect, that has to, the seeds have to be there to be able to form that. That's where that level of trust comes in. That's where that level of rapport comes in. The give and take be able to, comes in. They have to begin to trust you. You have to be able to trust them. You have to be able to build that rapport there. So that's number four. Number five is this. At this point, the first meeting, you might be working with the final decision maker. You may not be. You might be working with someone who's collecting the information. Maybe someone who's doing procurement. Maybe someone who is the gatekeeper. Okay. What you have to figure out is who are the decision makers? 
all of them. You have to figure out who that is. Is this done by a committee? Is this done by all, you know, the gatekeeper and the president? Who is involved in this? I love asking this question. And it's, and I learned this, I can't remember, probably from another sales trainer, which is always great to listen to other sales trainers do this. But their sales trainer said to me, and I love this question, it's who beside yourself is involved in the decision-making process? I love that question because it does not exclude the person that you're currently meeting with. It includes them in that. But you have to find out who the decision makers are to move from a suspect to a prospect. So that's number five. Number six, and we can go back and forth on this. I think it's vitally important, but you have to know what the competition is that you're facing out there. You have to know, do they have an incumbent? How strong is that incumbent relationship? How long have they had that incumbent relationship? If the incumbent is out there looking to move on to a new solution, great. Who else are these other players? This is where we kind of talked about this. And one of the big mantras that's hit last year, and I'm carrying it into this year, is you have to sell confidently, not desperately. To me, a confident salesperson has no problem asking who the competition is. Because you know why? We're going to blow them away anyway. But it's nice to know so I can put together my tool belt to figure out how I can emphasize what we do well versus what they do. So when we had Josh Braun come and speak at Producers in Paradise last year, one of the main points that he was making then, and he's still making it every day on LinkedIn today, is that you have to detach from the outcome. And I feel like that the most confident salespeople I know are completely detached from the outcome. They're walking in, they're going to tell you what, you know, what your problem is, or they're going to find what your problem is. They're going to articulate their solution. And if you're, if you're, if you go with them, great. If you don't go with them, great. It's fine. It, it, it's not going to matter. And, you know, I think that's counterintuitive, man, to a certain degree to how we all came up because we watch movies like Boiler Room and some of the Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, and some of these others where it's all about the hard close, the hard close, the hard close. It's amazing when you're completely detached from the outcome. People want you to, they want to buy from you. They, they want to understand, like, wait a minute, this guy, like, hold on a second. Maybe this guy does have a lot of business. Maybe he does have really good clients in his book. Maybe I'd be better off like being part of that because it appears I'm not going to be his only client, you know? I mean, and I think that, that when you're younger and you have the pressure on you to validate, uh, cause you're on a draw or whatever else, you can really do a lot of damage because that desperation comes right across when you're sitting at the point of sale, hundred percent of the time it does. And you don't even have to be that sharp of a buyer to pick up on it. Yeah, my one of my favorite bosses used to say, desperation like old cheese really smells. And I love that quote because they can smell that desperation, that fear across the table from you versus someone who's confident. And Josh is great. He's a great follow. I don't mind sharing other people. He's a great follow as well when it comes to this. But you're right. You want to act confidently, not desperately. And coming back to that point of knowing your competition. You want to know who's out there. One of the worst things, in my opinion, you can do is get blindsided because you did not know there was someone. Ask them. 
Maybe they'll tell you, maybe they won't, but you need to at least ask who besides yourself are they looking to try to find this solution? Well, the other reason is if you go in and clean somebody's plow and you know who they are, you want to start targeting their other accounts. Right. That's that next level. Exactly. Once you have won and you realize, hey, I just beat Broker X out there. Great. What else is Broker X working on? Because similarly, similarly, you're going to find probably the same problems at other Broker X's accounts as they're having right there. And by the way, if you're one of these sympathetic people that's like, oh, that's mean. I'm sorry. I'm in a for-profit business, people. I'm trying to feed a wife, four kids, and two golden retrievers and live a halfway decent lifestyle. At the end of the day, if somebody else isn't doing their job, that's their problem, not mine. I'm going to go in and get what's mine. But here's the thing. If you want to make it, you make yourselves feel better about it, about taking business away from somebody else, because I don't know if you need the newsflash or not, but for me to get hired 100% of the time, somebody else has to get fired. That's how the business world works. Yes. Look at all of these, aggre- not, not aggregators, but the, the venture capital funds and, and the people that are coming in and the uh, that are buying agencies that have been nice regionals or main streets for a number of years And now all of a sudden they're slapping a national brand on it. They're stripping some of the staff. Guess what? Those aren't the same agencies that they were last year. And there's a lot of low hanging fruit out there right now from people who have bought that personal relationship that somebody had with their client. And because they've changed things, it's not so personal anymore. I heard a story from a producer today who went on an appointment because there was a large, well-known national firm that dropped the ball on a massive account. And now he got the call and he went in there and he says, I don't know. I've never competed against this company before. And I said, your first problem is you're viewing it as you competing against them. You're not their names on the outside of the building, but you're competing against the same local agency. You've always competed against. They're just at a disadvantage now because they're no longer as quick and nimble as you are. Yes. Yes. I love it. The other thing is, I think we have the focus wrong. Okay, so yes, you know what? Someone to be hired, someone's going to have to be fired. Don't think about the person who was fired. Think about the client that you helped be better. That's what your focus should be on, is the fact that not that somebody lost an account, but now your account is stronger than it was before because they chose to work with you. Here's That's the thing, it. man. I know who my competition is. I don't care who my competition is. You know what I mean? I know who it is. There is nothing about what I do that is going to change from one of them to the other. The only thing that may change is the playlist I listen to on my way to the appointment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I right. might just need to get just a hair more amped up depending on That's who right. it is. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Turn up the volume a little bit louder. Exactly right. Exactly right. Last thing that you want to do is you want to make sure that you have a pathway forward. So the seventh thing is simply this. Have an aligned pathway forward with them. Make sure they know ultimately what you're going to do for them. And then from your part, make sure if you do all of these things that they want you to do or or have asked you to do, that they will hand you the business. It's the it's the simple, if we do this, then will you do that question. So if we provide these problems, if we do this, if we're able to do it at a cost, which you think that's the reasonable cost you want to go after, then you will buy from us. I want to make sure I get that ahead of time. 
I will ask for that at that first meeting. Again, a confident salesperson will do that. They will ask. If we're able to solve these problems in the timeline that you want for this kind of agreed upon price, then you will buy from us. And, and so here, let me let's step back for one second because there's also a place that we insert this conversation in the suspect phase too. And and I've I use a version of it. My good friend Josh Gurley uses mm -hmm. a version of it. But when we go in and we're talking in a first appointment, especially when I go into total cost of risk and minimum mod and all of the things that we're going to go yes. into, most of the time it's the first time somebody's heard that, at least mm -hmm. in, in the way that I present it. And so the way I like to end the conversation is, did what we talk about today sound different enough for us to take take the next step? Did, were we different enough that it makes sense to continue the conversation? And the, the answer is almost every single time, yes. If it's not different enough, then they're probably being served pretty good. What, you know, what, and, and I do, like, I respect and recognize there are people that are better than me at my job. There are people that are as good. And if they're on an account, I know with reasonable certainty, unless there's glaring pain that that person's letting me know, I'm going to take every first meeting 100% of the time, but I'm going to find out if the second meeting should happen. That's hey. as much to protect my calendar as it is to be respectful to the prospect. But we may find out, look, there's not a fit here. And if it's not different enough, we ain't moving on. Right. That's right. That's exactly it. I think that's why, again, at the suspect phase where we are right now, moving them from suspect to hopefully prospect, I'm in complete agreement with you. You have to ask that question to see if they're going to take this journey forward. And if they aren't, you have one or two choices. Either you have to go back and see if you can find that value for them, or else you're going to realize they're not the right ones for you. Thank you very much. Shake their hands you know, walk out the door. Hopefully you can get the next one or get them the next time. But kind of in close, let me go back. The seven things that I want to make sure I have to move them from a suspect to a prospect. Or number one, do they have a need? Number two, can I solve that need? Number three, do I have the information needed to be able to help them out? Number four, have I started building that trusted relationship? Number five, do I know all of the decision makers that are going to be in that process? Number six, do I know who the competitors are? And number seven, have we created a pathway for them? If I can answer yes to those, or at least have ones that are have the arrow strongly pointed yes to those, I move them from a suspect to a prospect. Boom. I don't know what else I need to do. My guy's mic is mounted, so I can't have him drop it, but that's it. Seven points with a little bit of filler in between, if you can't go out and apply those seven things and start making some changes in your results, I don't, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you need to reach out to Bob Paskins on LinkedIn and have him like drill sure. down further because it sounds like that there's a disconnect there, but listen, we're going to wrap up this episode. This has been session two and in session three next week, we're going to talk about what it's like to go from prospect to presentation. So we look forward to seeing you guys then. Catch you next time. See ya.
been listening to Power Producers Shop Talk. You can follow us at the Power Producers Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And if you want to take your game to the next level, check out our commercial insurance training course at killingcommercial.com or visit Amazon to pick up a copy of our international best-selling book, The Extra Two Minutes. 